Well, good evening, family. How are you tonight? Ah, glad you're here. Hey, if you're new, my name is Colin. I serve with our community team here at Mosaic. We're glad you're here. Happy Saturday. Hey, uh, some of you might know our friend here on stage next to me on like an email thread, but this woman legitimately is like the, we call it herding cats of our staff. Uh, she is the one who is like the, the trellis to the vine of our ministry here. This is my good friend, Meredith Jackson. Can y'all say hi to Meredith? <laughs> Meredith, tell us what you do here at Fellowship. Hi, like Colin said, I'm Meredith, and I run administrative support here at Mosaic, and I've been here for a few years now, and um, recently in the past couple months, me and my husband, Kyle, who's about to come out here, um, joined Mosaic for our church, and we have a one-and-a-half-year-old named Graham, and yeah, we really love being here. Awesome. Yeah. So some of you might know know Meredith through like, oh yeah, I've seen her on the email or on the website, but yes. I'd love for you to make sure you get a, a high five or a handshake from her tonight before you leave because she really does uh, keep us together. So uh, hey, a few things coming your way. Hey, raise your hands if you have or are about to have a high school student. Where are we at? High school. Oh, yes. Hey, this is one of the longest standing things we've done at Mosaic. Matt Newman began it when I was a student, like forever ago. It's a summer discipleship program we call Antioch. And uh, if you have a eighth grader about to go into ninth grade, or you have a 11th grader about to go into 12th grade, uh, the month of June, this is an opportunity for them to go really deep with one another as a disciple uh, and to be trained as a spiritual leader. Uh, many of them will actually become future community group leaders, uh, future church planters. Our hope is to not just use this program for the summer, but it actually becomes something that launches kids uh, into partnering with the kingdom of God here today. So here's the thing, though. Registration closes like tomorrow. So if you have students that you want to be a part of this program, please go ahead and sign up. And Meredith, tell us, uh, we got some new members, correct? Yes, we do. Um, we have a fresh group of new members here at Mosaic, and some of them will be in this service, some will be in next service, um, but we would like to invite everyone to give them a hand yeah. and support them. Awesome, awesome. And uh, part of this, this is how you become through membership here is actually a program, uh, a, a small group experience we call Discover. Meredith, we have one coming up soon, right? Yes, we do. Um, we don't have the summer dates selected yet, but if you follow the QR code here, uh, you can sign up and we will let you know um, the specific dates. But yeah, uh, Discover is called our small group um, experience just to get to know more about uh, mosaic. Uh, you get to meet new people. You get to meet staff, ask questions, and um, get on-ramped into community and life here at Mosaic. So, Yeah, so if yeah. you're brand new, this is a great way to, to get plugged into a small group quickly, uh, as well as if you've been here for a while and you haven't connected in a community group yet. Discover's amazing. Some of us have been here for like 13 years, and we've never done Discover, even then, it's still beneficial to go through because, one, you're getting to experience a small group, and two, getting to know the, the roots and the history of what we hope to do here at Fellowship Mosaic. And uh, if you've been around for a while, uh, you would know that last year, we actually had some of our staff and our congregation go both up north and down south uh, to Samaritan Church, uh, that Matt Newman, Scott Page, Joyce Stoner, and several of our, our key leaders uh, had the opportunity 
to, to go and, and to see a church grow and flourish, both that Samaritan Church North and Samaritan Church South. And so tonight we wanted to take a second just to, one, get an update to, to see how they're doing. So if you wouldn't mind, please uh, give this video a watch. When this began 22 years ago, uh, a community group started out to minister to the holistic person in Benton County that was overlooked and undervalued. They figured out that you can't reach everybody and allow them to contribute to meeting the need if your church, there were ways that the center can get funding that the church could not. The center is one of the most effective 501c3s in the state, if not the country. Then they provide care, they provide counseling, they provide all these different things. So there is mental, emotional work that is being done that people don't even know about. The center would refer to the church. Hey, we want you to know there's also a church that meets here on Sunday, but we are two separate entities. We predominantly take care of the spiritual side of that. The center predominantly takes care of the physical side of that and we overlap on the mental and emotional. That's where we work hand in hand. Why Samaritan? You know, I think there's a work that God did on my heart, on Scott's heart, um, to really become aware of the communities that we were in and that were around us. We begin to grow in our compassion and then ultimately proximity is a matter of moving in presence. It's moving to be face to face, to sit with, to know stories, to come alongside and to learn how to truly uh, both give but also receive from a community that might be considered just from the outside as a, as a community in poverty. We're just blessed by our church. Number one, that Mickey and the, and the elders would come to us and ask us to, to go and do this. And then that our church would send us in this capacity. And then for, for the community of people at Mosaic that have come alongside of us and said, we wanna go with you. We're doing a kingdom movement together in North Rogers, in Springdale, to, to see God doing something that, that we just couldn't imagine. I knew need was out there. Need being that uh, people had need for housing, people had need for transportation, people had need for medical services. Uh, food was a little bit of a need in Northwest Arkansas, but what there is deep need, and COVID has even put this in, in more of a perception, is people are in need of relationship. It's not good for man to be alone. I just didn't expect to see some of the poverty in Benton County. Lord, what do we do? And where do we find a place to get help for, for this person? Because it is, it is so beyond my capacity. You know, I think if I was honest and vulnerable, um, it's easy to see high need and automatically take on identity statements like, 
man, I'm, I'm going to be the rescuer here. I'm going to be this, the savior here. I'm going to be the teacher here. And I think the process, again, of, of, of kind of this humbling, this humble attunement to what's really going on is, um, is organically to shift from, from teacher to learner, to teach from savior to servant. And then the big one that, that one of my mentors really just has helped encourage me to, to go from rescuer to receiver. Um, is such a mentality shift um, to, to look at somebody who's experiencing a current state of homelessness and to realize the poor are prophetic, to realize that throughout the New Testament, Jesus often, frequently, um, just, doesn't just tell stories about the poor, but uses the poor as means to communicate uh, kingdom grace, kingdom movement. It's through the poor. You know, the reality is it's not our place or even our church's place to fix problems. It's to be with a person amidst their problems. You know, there's this moment, um, I experience it every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, which are the food line days and kind of the face-to-face -face with the community days in which every new conversation uh, is a new marathon. You know, th there's, there is no short fixes. There's no quick fixes. There's nothing that is like, oh, you have a problem, let me solve it, and then that's the end of the story. You know, I think the idea of the micro church um, was really born out of not a goal to make big church feel small, but rather how do we take the church and bring it into the community? And so um, the goal is not to invite people to Sunday morning necessarily. The goal is that every micro church uh, would be made up of an identity of mission, of connection, of worship, and that we would go into the, the margins and the places of our neighborhood to be the church, um, and that we would use on-ramps and bridges into the community. In Springdale, there's everything from uh, Samaritan sports, which is just focusing on either, you know, playing sports or coaching sports or coming alongside families during sports seasons. Um, there's, there's different uh, park micro churches where there's a local uh, Murphy Park that a lot of people like to fish and they're, they're fishing for their dinner and we have people in our church who like to fish. And so they are donating and bringing fishing poles, they bring lawn chairs and they're beginning gospel-centered conversations um, at set times to kind of start that going. It's really uh, trying to celebrate that identity of we are, we are shared missionaries with a shared mission vision of each micro church. I started doing is gathering a group of guys on Thursday at, uh, at the church and we'd all have our bikes and then we'd ride our bikes down to downtown Rogers and then we'd just sit and we'd just have a conversation. What would you pray blessings over? And then what is the Lord asking you to move over? The way that the group started to grow and then the passion that began to develop for how we could serve and minister to our community. Yeah, so the idea of the immersion program is again, uh, whether it's several small groups that have come and asked how they can help, what they can do, or even businesses that have come in and said, we want to do something with this community. What do you have for us? Um, the immersion experience, the design is again, it's framed around those three values of seeing, compassion, and proximity that Luke 10, 33 gives us in the story of the Samaritan. And so really we just wanted to create a space for people to say, hey, before we get face to face and start this relationship building process, we want to all take a, a step of humility back and learn together what does seeing even mean? What does humble attunement and really knowing and sitting with a person look like? What is compassion both modeled by Jesus as he left his home, entered our neighborhood, entered our mess, and then proximity? What is right 
uh, moving towards a person so that it's not charity, but it's dignity. And I'd say it's for anybody who would just say they have a heart for this community. Maybe they've even in the past done things to um, serve people in overlooked and undervalued kind of situations. Maybe it's a small group or maybe it's a family. Um, and that that could be kind of the first big step for them. What do you need? Um, and it's taken a while to feel the humble confidence to give an answer of like, well, here's exactly what we need. And I've just, I've tied it into an answer of just, is the three bears. So there's baby bear, there's mama bear, there's daddy bear. And so baby bear is we need warm socks, old cell phones, uh, we need gas cards, we need jackets, we need supplies. On a mama bear level, um, there's things that are huge needs like uh, when bed bugs hit a whole family, we need to get rid of all their furniture. We need bigger supplies, like I need a pickup truck. Scott needs a pickup truck. We need ways to help families move and to pull trailers and carts and those kind of things. And so, um, and then the daddy bear would be uh, the number one issue, especially as Northwest Arkansas grows and land is purchased and bought is, is homelessness. There's not a lot of places for people to stay anymore. We need land for uh, affordable housing for people that are experiencing homelessness. If you wanna just give a special blessing to Samaritan Rogers, Samaritan Springdale, we would be happy to take that blessing. If, if you're just, if you're really excited about what's happening with Samaritan Church, then, um, then please talk with us um, because we have, a, we have a big vision for the future. It's gonna, it's gonna take a lot of help. Church, what a gift it is to be here tonight and celebrate just even the faithfulness of God for um, seeing the launch of these two communities from our church. So tonight, let's stand and sing about the faithfulness of our God.
words tonight. hearts to give our offering tonight. Let's pray this together. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, Multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours. Nothing we can give can mask your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen. Let's continue in our worship tonight. Church, I invite you to remember, like we've been singing already about God's faithfulness and his steadfast love towards us. May this recall maybe something this week, something that you've thought and felt and experienced. Whatever that thing is, remind yourself that the steadfast love of Jesus Christ himself is for you. with me, cause you are with me in this moment, 
Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Say this with me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good evening, Mosaic. Good to see you guys. How many of you are here tonight, but your heart is at Razorback Stadium with Garth Brooks? Raise your hand. You just couldn't get a ticket, could you? So you're stuck here with me. Maybe, maybe after second hour, we could get the band to maybe do a cover of Friends in Low Places, and, and we could feel like we have one of those $100 tickets. No, welcome. So glad you guys are here. We are cruising our way through the Gospel of John together, and we're taking the first seven weeks of this uh, series to look at seven I am statements of Jesus. And and really, perhaps the, the best way to sort of think about these statements, these are seven identity statements that Jesus is giving to his disciples to help them understand who he is and why he has come. And one of the things that's, that's so beautiful about these seven I am statements, in fact, I was reminded of this this past week uh, as we were circled up uh, in the living room uh, at the Frittles house, and we were processing together what it looks like, what are the implications of the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the statement that we unpacked last week. And what, what was so incredible to me is to, to, to see as we work our way through the Gospel of John, to see the way that Jesus' disciples were putting the pieces together themselves, were trying to wrap their mind around who Jesus was, why he had come, and the difference that he would make in their lives. And what was so beautiful to me is to think that, that 2,000 years later, here we are pouring over these same statements with that same challenge or invitation before us to put the pieces together to understand who Jesus was, why he came, and how he longs to serve as a risen savior in each of our lives. You know, one of the other things that's just so fascinating to me about the scriptures as we look at these statements, if you were this week to talk to someone who has studied the scriptures their entire lives, and maybe even someone here at Fellowship that has studied the scriptures for decades, likely you would discover that even though some of these statements are very familiar to them, these same identity statements, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, these same identity statements of Jesus would still be transforming the life of a believer that studied the Gospel of John for decades. It's one of the incredible attributes of the scriptures. And it reminds me of a phrase that I've heard Cup say over the years, that you can study the Bible your entire life and never master it, but hopefully in the process, the Bible will begin to master you. And so tonight, let's invite the scriptures to shape us and to become a master of our lives. 
Tonight, we're gonna be studying John chapter 14 when Jesus makes this statement that is likely familiar to many of us where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But before we turn to the text, let's set up the context to help deepen our understanding of the passage that we're about to study. You see, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room celebrating the Passover celebration with his disciples. He's sharing this meal and a couple significant things have just taken place prior to the, the verses that we'll look at tonight. You see, in John 13, Jesus, as he entered the room with his disciples, no one stepped up and began to wash the feet of the men around the table, but Jesus did. And so likely in that moment, the, the disciples are, are feeling maybe a, a little bit of shame of, man, I really should have noticed the need and done that. And here my rabbi, my teacher, is doing that for me. In the course of the meal and the conversation, Jesus is continuing to predict his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's causing some confusion. Also in John 13, Judas has just left the table. The disciples don't fully understand why. Jesus has just told Peter maybe the strongest leader in the group, that that night he's gonna deny that he even knows Jesus. Everyone in the room is on edge. This small group of men, they've left everything to follow Jesus. They had hoped and are probably still hoping, there's a sense of anticipation that, that Jesus is gonna lead Israel to greatness. And yet Jesus keeps talking about going away. Everything seems so uncertain in this moment. Mosaic, can you relate to a moment like that? Where everything feels so uncertain and maybe out of grasp? I guarantee you there's some believers in Ukraine right now that can relate to that. And here we come to John 14, one. In that moment, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, I don't know about you, Mosaic, but there have been seasons of my life where this verse has actually been very discouraging to me. And it usually is at a season where I find myself extremely troubled. And you read this instruction of Jesus, do not let your hearts be troubled. And if you're not careful, your first instinct is, oh no, it's one more thing, I'm not doing well. At first glance, this, this instruction of Jesus can, can feel like an unhelpful statement, or at least that, that Jesus' timing is a little bit off. And actually this week, I was even reminded of an experience that Sarah and I had about 10 years ago when she was pregnant with our first daughter. At the time, we were living in a, a small sort of A-framed townhouse in Bella Vista. And we didn't know it at the time, but it, it's important to the story. Uh, 
a mama bat had found like a quarter-sized hole in one of our soffits and had, I don't know, made a family, a colony, a gaggle. I don't know what a group of bats are called, actually. But there was a family of bats living in this little football-sized pocket in one of our exterior walls. We had no idea. Sarah's nine months pregnant. I mean, literally, she gave birth like the next week. So, I mean, we're like right at the finish line. And we had just finished the movie. We're going to bed. It's probably maybe 10.30 at night. Sarah's brushing her teeth. I'm standing there in the bedroom. And I see something in the floor kind of flopping around. And your mind's not thinking, oh, there's a bat in our floor. It's just, hey, I wonder what that is. And and I don't know about the the guys in the room, but I, I really feel a certain level of confidence when I have jeans on and maybe like some steel-toed work boots, I, I, I almost feel like in that attire, I could likely take on any animal in the animal kingdom and come out on top. But there's something about being barefoot in a pair of boxers that you kind of, you're just a little bit more timid to approach things. And so I kind of go over there to assess what's going on as Sarah comes out of the bathroom. Now, Sarah, she's cool as a cucumber in 99% of the situations in life. She keeps her cool. And we're both assessing, what is this in the floor? And we realize, I think it's a bat. And so I say, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get some Tupperware and pick this bat up. Because, you know, diseases and, you know, again, I don't have my boots and jeans on. And so I go to the kitchen, I get some Tupperware, I scoop it up, pick it up, and Sarah's staying calm, and I'm going, I'm going to take this outside. Right as a second bat flies into our bedroom and hits Sarah in the head and kind of for a moment gets entangled, she has really curly hair, in her hair. Well, at this point, like cool, collected, nine-month pregnant Sarah, I mean, all bets are off. I mean, she pulled like some sort of matrix move and hit the floor. And now I'm wondering, I've got the bat in the Tupperware. I've got a pregnant wife that might go into labor at any moment and this second bat. And I'm trying to assess the situation and feeling rather vulnerable at the moment. And all I could think to do was to scream at Sarah, calm down, calm down. You've got to calm down. And you know, it is completely absurd in that moment to scream at someone who's obviously disheveled to calm down. But you know, that is sort of the the sense that I get at first glance with this passage of scripture. The disciples are on edge and Jesus in that very troubled moment is telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. But it's important for us to understand that in that moment, Jesus wasn't telling his disciples, I don't want you men to ever experience stress. In fact, interestingly enough, this word troubled, it's used to describe Jesus in chapters 11, 12, and 13. In fact, in that same upper room moment, in in verse 13, verse 21, it says, and after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. You see, that word troubled that Jesus uses here, it it literally means stirred up, inner turmoil, or thrown into a state of confusion. 
But what we must understand with this passage, and even in the verses that follow, every time Jesus is giving some instruction to his disciples there in that upper room, here in chapter 14, he always uses a plural verb. Meaning even in a moment when, he, when Philip or Thomas asks him a question, it's as if Jesus is speaking to the collective whole. He's talking to his group of his disciples. And rather than telling them, never allow your hearts to be troubled, it's as if Jesus is giving his disciples an identity statement. Could you be men who are not marked by constant worry, troubled and distress. Could, could you become a group of followers who over the long haul, your identity is not marked as that of trouble? You, you see, this isn't a gotcha statement. It actually is a call to a bigger vision. And Jesus is gonna explain to them why this is possible. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. It's, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Once again, just to sort of understand some, some cultural context, the imagery that Jesus is using here fits within the first century practice where a groom's family adds on an apartment to the main family house and the family just continues to grow under one roof. And so here Jesus is saying to his disciples, stop being troubled, I'm God and I've got you. You see, in Christ, we are given comfort in the chaos. Christ is reminding his disciples, when you face trouble, as you walk through chaos, remember that I'm with you, I'm coming back for you, and I'm preparing a place where we will spend all of eternity together. It's a reminder that the disciples desperately needed in that moment and would need in the days and the months and the years to come. And it's a beautiful reminder for Christ followers all over planet Earth today that in Christ, we have a comforter in the chaos well, let's continue on to work our way through this incredible passage as, as the disciples, again, are trying to put the pieces together of who Jesus is and why he's come. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Here in verse six, Jesus is making a profound statement about who he is. 
as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, here in this instance, Jesus is able to refer to himself as the way because he's the only path to eternity with God the Father. He's able to refer to himself as the truth because he's the ultimate revelation of God in human flesh. And he's able to refer to himself as the life because he came to earth to provide abundant, eternal life to all who put their hope and trust in him. But notice in verse six, there's, there's something very fascinating to me about this verse. Jesus makes a truth claim and he comes at it from multiple angles. One is positive, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and one has a bit of a bite to it or, or is even negative. A, a claim of exclusivity that no one would come to the Father except through me. And what's fascinating about this verse, I, I wonder sometimes if you just literally were to pull friends or talk to people in your office or on your neighborhood, probably most people, if you walked up to them and said, hey, did you know that Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life? I venture to guess a lot of people would go, oh, that's great. No problem. I got no problem with that. Jesus could say that all day long. That doesn't step on my toes. But the moment that we introduce the second part of that verse, the idea that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, then suddenly people start to kind of sit up straight and go, now wait just a minute. But actually what we see here is Jesus is making it crystal clear Excuse me. Actually, both phrases speak to the exclusivity of Christ. And he's wanting to make certain that his disciples and his followers today understand that he, in no uncertain terms, that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. But it causes us in that moment, to wrestle with the question, who has the right to make a statement like that? And it even reminds me of, of one of the, the theological questions that, that comes up early on in movement one of Panorama of the Bible. This, this question of who has the right to rule? And the answer is, the one who has conquered sin and death, a living, resurrected Savior. But you can see here, Mosaic, that everything truly does hinge around the historical, actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is ultimately what seals his authority to make a claim like this. You know, just as a, as a sidebar mosaic and as an opportunity to, to maybe do some further study and, and grow in this area, I'd love to, to remind the church that, that actually tomorrow, the newest member of our training center team, Dr. Ted Leonard, Ted and Suzanne moved here 
recently uh, from Missouri, have been a part of Fellowship of the Ozarks for years. And, and Ted recently joined the, the training center to be the leader and the, and the director of uh, core training here at Fellowship for the training center. And, and, and Ted, starting tomorrow morning, is launching a, a four-week class focused on the defense of the resurrection to take a look at historically and, and scripturally how can we put our hope and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, three days later was resurrected to life. And so you, you can go, you can scan this QR code and register online. You can join us there and I'll be here in the morning at 1030 to be at that class. You can also follow along uh, online. I, I believe it'll be live streamed. But we want as a team to be able to equip the body to, to examine the truth related to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we continue on in this passage, again, the disciples here are asking some of the most simple, basic questions, showing that they're still struggling to fully wrap their minds around these truth claims of Jesus. We see in verse eight, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. You know, in this moment, you can almost see Jesus sort of rubbing his brow like, oh, Philip, I just covered that. But in verse nine, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. You know, in this passage of Scripture, as Jesus is backing up this truth claim that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's showing his connection to God the Father. Perhaps two of the most problematic verses in this passage are verses 12 and 14. And without proper understanding, we might make the jump or the claim that is Jesus giving his disciples or his followers here, uh, sort of a, a blank check situation? Is he describing that, that actually the apostles or that we as his followers might one day do even greater works in terms of quality than Jesus Christ? The son of God who has fed thousands of people and has, has uh, done miraculous healings and has raised Lazarus from the dead? You know, oftentimes when we encounter 
tricky passages of scripture, one of the most helpful things that we can do is take a look at other passages of scripture that shed light on exactly what Jesus is describing. And the book of Acts greatly assists in our understanding of this passage because we see in the life of the early church that Jesus here, he is describing how the church would be capable of doing even greater works than he did in terms of quantity. Because what was started there in Jerusalem with a group of Jewish leaders was about to go global. And Jesus was gonna send, and this occurs in in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, Jesus promises his disciples, I'm gonna send a helper. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to fill your lives in such a way that you as my followers will be capable of being the hands and feet of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so once again, Jesus is not describing here that his disciples or that his followers will do greater works in terms of quality, but rather greater in terms of quantity. And then as we look at verse 14, it teaches us this reality that as we follow Jesus, we have been given his word his Holy Spirit, and a community of believers to shape our prayer life and to show us how to ask for things that line up with his character. You see, Jesus Christ, because of the fact that he's the way, the truth, and the life, he alone is able to provide comfort to our lives in the midst of chaos. He alone is able to give us access to God the Father. But then also Jesus here gives his followers an invitation to trust him, to become men and women that would hunger for his word, that would be in tune with the whispers of his Holy Spirit as he fills our lives and would learn to depend upon a community of the believers to help us be refined and developed and become spiritually mature and ministry focused and be developed into the image of Jesus. Once again, it's because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that we're given these incredible gifts, comfort and access and an invitation. You know, Mosaic, for Sarah and me, as we've meditated on this verse the last few weeks, we've even noticed just some of the themes in our prayer life. And I suspect that that actually some of the themes in our own prayer life probably are very reflective of of your own. We've noticed over the years that, that we continually, under the power of Christ, we ask for him to produce oneness in our marriage. We pray for the ability to to shepherd the hearts of our children and to point them to Jesus. We pray for faithfulness and effectiveness and in leadership and whatever capacity or platform that he entrusts to our care. 
But one of the things that we've realized is that none of these things happen overnight. And quite often it's easy to sometimes grow complacent or to shrug off the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he longs to, to speak and reveal his design in, in all of the fundamental areas of life. And so a metaphor that we found so helpful to just refocus our lives on these truths and this reality and to be found as faithful and obedient day after day, decision after decision, is actually just the metaphor of a, of, a, of a brick path. And sometimes Sarah and I, we can catch each other's eye or even in just a text message, make mention that this is just one brick at a time, one conversation at a time, that we're gonna choose to live in light of the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to hunger and lean into his design for marriage, his design for parenting, his design for relationships, his design for generosity, his design for our career path. And we're going to choose to trust him. And to the very best of our ability, we're going to choose to lay one brick at a time of obedience in that path trusting that Jesus will find a way to string all of that together and produce a life, a lifetime of faithfulness that will bring him honor and glory and be a blessing to other people. And so I encourage you tonight, Mosaic, what does it look like to trust Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life in every single area of your own life. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the example of Jesus. We're so thankful for your revelation through your word, showing us exactly who Jesus is and why he came. Lord, we're so thankful that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And tonight, we submit to that reality. Lord, may you teach us what it looks like, one brick at a time, to live lives of obedience and faithfulness, trusting that in and through your body, the local church, you will produce something beautiful that's capable of transforming Northwest Arkansas and the world. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you stand and sing with us tonight? Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever Every breath we could ever breathe, we live free.
another moment tonight just to acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Be with Jesus for a moment.
we acknowledge that tonight. Lord, that you are a safe place we're able to trust as a firm foundation. So thank you, Jesus, for showing us what the way and the truth and the life looks like. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. What a great night of worship, church. If you need prayer, we'll have our prayer team up front. They'll have little white badges, and they would love to connect with you. If you're a guest, we'll have some of our staff out in the foyer. Uh, let's go in peace, church, to love and serve the Lord and the people said. Thanks be to God. See you next week.